All right. Well, good morning. Uh, it is a privilege and an honor to be able to be here with you guys this morning. I uh, appreciate the invitation and the introduction. Uh, I, my throat gets dry often, so you'll probably see me take a drink of water while I'm teaching, um, and I'm pretty awkward about it, so just hang in with me while I do that. But um, my, those of you that don't know me, my name is Paul Oshesky, and uh, I'm a lay elder at Kelty's First Baptist. I uh, uh, oversee our connections, so our uh, new members coming in and getting them connected with our body and teaching our, our new membership class. Uh, but along with that, my full-time job is, uh, for the last 10 years, I've been a teacher at a school, at a high school there in Lufkin, and then this year I'm transitioning into a role as an assistant principal. And so do that full-time, and then I worked part-time at the church, uh, but now I'm serving in a lay uh, position there. So just kind of give you a little bit of background there, because that'll come into play with uh, some things that I'll talk about a little bit later. But um, as we dive into our text this morning, as... Um, Wesley had asked me to, to preach on this particular passage. When I first sat down and read it, the first thing that popped into my mind was that what we're seeing here is a case of mistaken identity. Okay, so just to kind of summarize the story, what we see is that, that Paul, um, he's here in Lystra, and there's a man who's lame from birth, and he performs a miracle. He heals this man. The man gets up, and then as a result of that, the, the Lyconians, they look at him and they, they say, look, these are not men, these are gods. And so they go and they get things to sacrifice to them. And then Paul and Barnabas are saying, well, no, 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 we're not, we're not. That is not us at all. And so as I think about just mistaken identity, just to kind of uh, you know, build a picture here uh, of what's going on. So I have twin seven-year-old girls. Now they are not identical, but they still get mixed up, um, still get mistaken for one for the other. But kind of the story that I, I always think of with mistaken identity is when these girls were two, we took a trip up to Pennsylvania to go see my relatives and go see my grandparents, aunts and uncles and everybody. And we're staying with my grandmother and my uncle. And for some reason, still to this day, we do not know why, we introduced the girls. We said, this is Judith and this is Jaden. And my uncle, he knew which was which. He could look at him and tell the difference. However, he kept calling Judith Julia. And so all week it was, hey, Julia, will you do this? Julia, come here. Julia, throw me that ball. And finally, after about three days of it, she had had enough. And she just looked at him and she stomped her foot and she goes, why call me Julia? And, and, and so within that, as I just think about mistaken identity, that's the case that we're going to see here with Paul and Barnabas is, why are you calling us gods? And that's the reaction. That's what he's coming back at them with. And so we're going to break this down and look at three particular parts of the story. So first, we're going to look at the miracle that occurs. And then we're going to look at misdirected worship as the Lyconians are misdirecting their worship in this case. And then finally, we're going to look at the mindful humility of Paul and Barnabas. So our three points this morning, the miracle, the misdirected worship, and then the mindful humility. And so we start off with a miracle, verses 8 through 10. And we, we kind of already we read it, and then we summarized it, but just delving in a little bit deeper here, we see, starting in verse 8, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Now, what's, what's interesting about this and the way that Luke is telling this story is if you were to go back into Acts chapter 3, 
the very beginning of that chapter. There's a very similar story that is being told in Acts chapter 3. And that is that there is a man who was lame from birth, who could not walk, who was brought before Peter. And what ends up happening in that case is that Peter heals this man who was lame from birth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, in this case, we see in verse 9 of chapter 14 here that this man listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, the reason that Luke is telling this particular story and this particular miracle is at the time there was there were several people, in particular Luke's readers, that were questioning the apostleship of Paul. And the reason they were questioning it was because Paul had not walked with Jesus as Peter had, as Luke, as the disciples had. And so what he's doing here, Luke, in writing this and telling the same story but with a different character here, is he's laying out the fact that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that is working through Peter, is the one that is working through Paul. And, and so in that he is validating, he is giving value to the apostleship of Paul for his readers to see and to know and to hear that the Spirit is working through Paul just as the Spirit works through Peter. And what's comforting for me as I think about that is remembering and knowing that the same Spirit that worked through these men is the same Spirit that is active living and working through us today. And so how comforting is that to know that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God is that, that is saving and performing and doing these things in this time is the same God that we worship and that we honor and live for today. And now in this story, what, what we see happen is that this man, again, lame from birth, now we're not given an age, but... Uh, as I kind of read through this a little bit further, they said this was likely not a younger man, probably in his 20s or so. And within that, he is told to stand upright on his feet. And the words here says, and he sprang up. And so what that is literally telling us is that immediately he jumped up without hesitation. Now, I'm, I'm not necessarily a young man, but I'm not an old man. I'm kind of somewhere in between there. Um, but as I've gotten older, um, if I sit for any period of time and I get up, my joints and my bones and everything just creaks. I mean, even just driving from Lufkin to here this morning, I get out of my car, and if you guys would have been looking out of the window at me, you'd have thought something was terribly wrong with me because I have to contort and, and just move and everything pops and there's just issues. But what we see here out of this guy is that there's none of that, right? He's lame from birth. He's been in, the, in this position, unable to move his legs and his feet and just stiff from birth. And he springs up. And now the reason that the story is told in this way is for the benefit of the bystanders and for the benefit of the Gentiles who are reading this to see the healing power of God and its immediate action. And so in this case, what, what we can take away from this is we can know that the pagan worshipers in this moment were astonished by the healing power of the living God. All right, so they saw the physical healing power of the living God. What we see today is the spiritual and eternal healing power of the living God. And again, that is 
an immediate thing that when the Lord calls us into his kingdom, he has saved us once and for all. Now, the Lord's healing, it is immediate and it is complete. And so that's what we see with this guy. Physically, he has been healed immediately and completely. And it's been brought about. Our eternal healing, our spiritual healing is immediate and it is complete. When we are cleansed of our sin, we are cleansed. You see, Scripture tells us that Christ died once and for all. So he died once for our sin, and it covers all of our sin. Now, within that, whenever we become a believer, whenever the Lord opens our eyes to our sin and calls us into our kingdom, into his kingdom, and breaks us of those things, it is an immediate salvation. However, there is this other thing that is called sanctification that, that follows And sanctification is the act of being made more and more like Christ each and every day. Now, I said earlier that that my full-time job is that I'm a high school teacher. Well, whenever I got my teacher certification and I was offered a job, in that moment, 10 plus years ago, I was a teacher. I had not set foot in a classroom in front of students yet, but I was a teacher. I had my certification. I had my job. I could walk around and tell people I am a teacher. Right now I can tell people I am an assistant principal. I have not done anything yet as far as starting my contract with that. And so I don't know what I'm doing. Right now, for all I know, I'm a terrible assistant principal. Okay, But what's going to happen as I step into the role, you know, hopefully, Lord willing, I will become better and better and better as time goes on. As I learn the job, as I learn the responsibilities and things that come along with that, I will become a better individual at my job. That's what I saw with teaching. I started out one place and over time I learned and I, and I grew. Now in that same sense as Christians, when the Lord heals us, he heals us of our sin. He has brought us into his kingdom. However, we are still living in a fallen world. We are still human. We are still sinners. And so in that, what we are doing as we pursue him, as we grow in our walk with him, we are going to be made more like him. So just because on day XYZ, the Lord breaks us of our sin and we enter into a relationship with him, that does not mean that we are perfect Christians and that we are living a sinless life from that moment. No, what it means is that we are, have entered into a relationship with him. He has healed us eternally, but we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to pursue his word, continue to seek him out, and continue to be made more and more like him as long as he gives us life on this earth. And so as we look at this part of the story, this healing component, we see a physical healing. But within that, what we want to take away from it is the understanding of the eternal miracle that the Lord has given to us. And so then as the Lyconians looked on at this act and they saw what Paul was able to do through the Holy Spirit for this man, it says in verse 11, And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, it's important to note right here that when it says they're saying this in Lyconian, the the point of that statement is that they're making these statements, but Paul and Barnabas don't speak Lyconian, and so they don't understand what's being said right now. They just hear them saying something. But then what happens, it says, um, 
Barnabas, starting in verse 12, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And so what we see, their response to this miracle is not, hey, let's worship the God that they are proclaiming. Their response is, these are the physical manifestation of the gods of our culture. This is Hermes and Zeus. Now, in in reading a little bit further about this, because I am not well-versed at all with Greek and Roman gods and all that sort of stuff, but as I read a little bit further into this, uh, one guy, R.C. Sproul, talked about how within these these two guys, these two gods that are mentioned here, that this was the the Greek gods, but the Roman gods had the same, uh, basically the same powers, I'm going to say, but went by different names. And the Latin text of this actually doesn't call them Zeus and Hermes, but Jupiter and Mercury. And so then he goes into a little bit further of a description of Jupiter and Mercury and why the Lyconians likely responded the way they did in this moment. And so basically what happened is there's a story that Jupiter and Mercury came down into human form and that they were living in this area. And they were looking for the kindness of man. Well, they were treated with just complete and utter disdain, except for one elderly couple. And so this elderly couple brought them into their home and treated them with kindness. And as a result of just the lack of concern and hospitality that was shown, the story says that Jupiter and Mercury took this elderly couple up to the top of a mountain and then flooded the valley. All right, now... Again, we don't attribute those powers to these gods. However, the story here is that this valley is the valley in which Paul and Barnabas are are speaking right now. And so history for these Lyconians says, hang on a second. Remember when they came before and nobody recognized it and everybody was flooded? We can't let that happen. We have to sacrifice to them. We have to worship them because this is them. They've come back. They're giving us the chance to atone for those things. And so they run off and they send the priest. They say, go, get, go take care of, uh, of uh, the garland and the oxen and bring these things in so that we can sacrifice to them. And so what we're seeing here is misdirected worship. Right? The Lyconians are not giving the praise to the one who actually healed this man. They're attributing that praise to something else. Now, oftentimes we make a similar mistake, whether we do so mindfully or unintentionally. But oftentimes we will worship the creation and not the creator. I, you know, Growing up as a kid... Uh, one of the, a big part of my childhood was video games. And, and there's extenuating circumstances as to why, but I, w- I could sit inside and I could play video games for hours upon hours. And one of my absolute favorite games as a kid, and still even now, just kind of nostalgia reflecting on it, was The Le- Legend of Zelda. All right, now, I loved this game so much that I, I remember... At one point in elementary school, I sat down after beating the game and I watched the credits, okay? Now, I know, weird kid, but I was watching the credits because I wanted to see who created this game. Who came up with this thing? This is awesome. 
And so I remember watching, and it was, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but Shigeru Miyamoto. All right. And so as a result of that, then once I knew his name, then I grabbed the case and I looked at the back of the case and I saw at the bottom where his name was. And so now I was like, okay, now I've got this down because this was before internet. All right. So I couldn't just Google things. Um, so then whenever we went to Blockbuster Video, okay, old, old thing right there. It used to be this building you could walk into. It had movies and video games everywhere and you could rent them and take them home. Uh, but either there or you know, Walmart or some store and it was time to, to find a new game, what I would do is I would grab the case and I would look at the back and I would look at that same place and I was looking for his name, right? Because I wanted more things that this guy created. That was, was what I was after. I was worshiping the creation that this guy had come up with. Now, I didn't know anything about the guy other than that he came up with games. And I enjoyed those games. Now, I've seen other people who have liked a particular band. And as a result of liking that band or that, uh, a musician themselves, they have taken the time to listen to every album this musician or band has put out. They have, and nowadays, Googled and read Wikipedia and every fan page and know everything about this individual's life and could tell you where they went to high school and you know, what they had to, for breakfast this morning. Like They just follow them to that degree. And so in that, what they are doing is they are placing their worship because they've enjoyed a creation, they're placing their worship on that creator. Now, ultimately, that is what we need to be doing with our Heavenly Father is we look out upon his creation. We look out upon the beauty of what he has given us here. And it should point us back to him. It should not point us to more created things. It should not, as I enjoy the beach, it should not point me to the mountains, right? As I enjoy the Legend of Zelda, it should not point me to F-Zero. Instead, it should point me to the creator. As we enjoy, I use that example of the musicians, you know, as you enjoy the music, it should lead you to the creator of the music. As you enjoy creation, it should lead you to worship the one who created. It should not lead us to give our worship to something else. And so unfortunately, we do still worship these false idols. You know, we scoff at the ancient world for their Greek and the Roman gods, However, in modern day, we still see this. Now, this, we don't see this in this church, but there are churches where, that have saints. And they pray to the saints to, uh, to intercede on their behalf. And so, likely, that's a common misconception within the same thing here that we see where they are worshiping the gods. They are putting these saints in a higher position. But now we... And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not putting this on anybody here, but what I've seen in churches where people are, where there aren't saints, is that people will place their hope or their faith on an individual. Right? This guy's a talented speaker. I want to follow this guy. You know, or this guy's a terrible speaker. I'm not going to follow this guy. Or, hey, that, that, that guy over there, he is like deacon extraordinaire and I'm going to follow him in his service, right? So we, we place an emphasis on individuals, and so we begin to worship those individuals rather than listening to the message that they are proclaiming. Other times, we place our worship on our family, 
and we put them above the Lord. While he has given us this great and wonderful thing, he is still the one that deserves the worship and the praise for giving us those things. We'll worship money or material things. And other times, we'll worship who knows what else. But ultimately, whatever we have, whatever we have been given, it should point us back to the Creator. And so in those things, please don't hear me say that family is a bad thing or that sitting under a great teacher is a bad thing or serving with a a person that is an incredible server, that those are bad things. But whenever we take those individuals or we take those items, we take those things and we put them at the center of our worship, then they have become an idol and it has become a bad thing. God should be at the center, our Heavenly Father. And so within this portion of our story, we see the misdirected worship of the Lyconians as they looked upon what Paul and Barnabas had done through the power of the Holy Spirit. They have said, these men are gods. They are not paying attention to the message that Paul and Barnabas have been preaching, but instead they are looking at the acts and looking at these men and giving the glory to them. And so what is Paul and Barnabas' response as soon as they find out? Because again, remember, this was spoken in Lyconian, and so they're not sure what's going on. You know, this man has been healed, and then all of a sudden there's a bunch of commotion going on, and so they think, okay, hey, they're excited about this. But then they see oxen and garland being brought before them. And so in verse 14, we see the way that Paul and Barnabas respond. It says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn, these, turn uh, from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. And so what we, what we see here is that Paul and Barnabas, as soon as they found out what the Lyconians were doing, they refused to accept the praise. So they had mindful humility is what I call this, trying to stick with a little bit of alliteration. But mindful humility, they saw what was happening. And so in this, they immediately look out on this and they say, no, 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 this is not us. This is not us. We, just like you, we are men. We are not doing this by our own power. We are not representatives of the gods Zeus and Hermes or Jupiter and Mercury. We are not them. We are merely messengers of the living God, Yahweh. And so the the presentation that's put out here is this idea that they will not receive credit for something they have not done, okay? However, if you flip back, I believe it's chapter 12 in Acts. Yeah, Acts chapter 12 down in verse 22. uh, It says, 
And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. This was after Herod had given what was said to be an incredibly moving speech. So this is the voice of a God and not a man. Verse 23 of chapter 12. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And so Herod, he said, hey, I'm going to get up and give this speech. And then whenever people attributed to him what they should have attributed to God, he did not refuse it. He accepted that praise and he took it in and was getting kind of big chested and big headed and thinking mighty of himself. And God said, no, 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 that is my glory and I will receive it. However, in this story, as the people begin to attribute these things to Paul and Barnabas, they go, no, and they're so put off by it that it says that they tore their clothes and they rush out into the crowd and they begin crying out to these men, making a statement. And, and essentially, this is a, just a little glimpse of a sermon that Paul gives in this moment. But as I think about this and, and the way that they are refusing to accept this, this credit, on the flip side of that, Oftentimes, we see people who will, who will accept that credit, just as with Herod. Uh, growing up, I had, I had a friend. Um, he, he's still in the Lufkin area, so change his name for, for his uh, security. Um, I'll, I'll call him Kyle. So Kyle had uh, this, uh, I, I call it his superpower, but uh, he had this ability to show up whenever anybody else was receiving praise and to get credit for whatever happened. So Kyle and I lived in the same neighborhood uh, for a while growing up, and there was always a big group of us that would go outside and, and play together, do all kinds of outdoor sports and activities and things. And sometimes we would end up making a mess because there were empty lots and stuff. And so there was one day that um, my sister and I were told by my parents, hey, you guys played in that lot. You need to go out and clean up all the trash. And we're like, but come on, everybody else was. And, you know, given that whole spiel, but my parents said, we don't care, go. So, so we go out there and we pick up all the trash. And uh, one of the other parents of the neighborhood drove by and saw us doing it. And so they stopped and rolled down the window and said, hey, you know, thank you guys for cleaning that up. I know everybody played out there, but it was really kind of you guys to do it. So thank you three for doing that. We went, you three? And we turned around, sure enough, there's Kyle right here, right behind me, just standing there accepting the praise. And then the car drives off and Kyle disappears. All right. So he just had that ability to show up and to receive praise for things he didn't do. It happened at school. He would take praise for projects he had nothing to do with, but he received the credit and he loved it. He accepted it. He thrived on it. And so those, and Kyle's not this way anymore, but those are men or women that live for themselves. It's about their pride, about their ego, about putting themselves on a pedestal and making sure that they look great to those around them. Paul and Barnabas, in this case, had no concern of how they were viewed other than the fact that they were viewed as servants of the living God. That was their concern. They didn't want to be put on a pedestal. They didn't want to want people saying, Paul and Barnabas are amazing. That was not their concern. Their concern was the gospel. And so that's the little sermon that we see Paul begin to launch into here is that he does not receive the praise, but instead 
he turns that praise back to the gospel. He preaches the word and he rebukes them for their wrongful adulation. And so what we see that Paul's desire here is that he longs to see idol worshipers converted. So what does he do? He communicates repentance in a way that makes sense to his audience. You see, conversion requires abandoning our functional saviors. So abandoning the things that we think we can and should depend on and giving that dependence over to the Lord and embrace the real Savior, embrace Jesus. And so what Paul does in this is he says, Like I said, awkward dry throat stuff. What Paul does is, is he comes out and he says, listen, you are depending upon these old world gods, little g gods. You're placing your hope and your faith in the wrong thing. So let me point you in the direction of where you need to point your, your faith, your hope, and your adulation. And he wants to communicate with them based off of their history, based off of their culture, and where they are. He is not changing the gospel. The gospel does not change. It is uncompromising. However, Paul understands his audience. He knows who he's speaking to. And so he paints the picture for the Lyconians in a way that they will be able to connect with. And so the first thing that he does here is he says that the living God is the creator. And so we see this in verse 15. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So, what he's probably likely doing here is alluding back to Psalm chapter 146, verse 6. So if you'd like to, you can flip back there. I'm going to flip back and read this. So Psalm 146, verse 6, where it just simply says, and it's referencing God, the God of Jacob here. It says, He who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. And so... He's referencing back to something that they would know, something that they would have heard, that they would be familiar with. And so within that, he's definitely starting with something to which they could relate and they could see. And so, but when he says, God created these things, he's stressing to them the universal scope of God's creation. You know, one of my favorite stories of a testimony of how a missionary came to know the Lord. He talks about how he grew up in a remote village in Africa where they, in just their small tribe and their small village, they worshipped this large tree that was at the end of the village. That was their God. And they had a priest that would get up and tell them different things about the tree over time. And so this, this young man, whenever he was a kid, he, he says, I remember there was, there was a day that I went to my dad and I said, Dad, 
why do we worship this tree? And he said his dad's response was, well, it is the largest thing in our village. And he said, but you don't need to ask questions like that, son. You just accept it. Well, he couldn't. He just said, I, I, I couldn't accept that because as I thought about it, okay, yeah, there's this large tree in our village, but what about outside of our village? Are there bigger trees? I mean, what else is there? But even beyond that, as I look up, what about the moon? The moon is bigger than the tree, so why not worship the moon? And then he took it even a step further. He said, but wait, the sun is what gives light to the moon. The sun is bigger and brighter and better than the moon. So what about the sun? And so he went to his dad and he said, dad, isn't the sun bigger than our tree? And he said, it is. And he goes, well, then why don't we worship the sun or the God of the sun? Because the sun had to be created. And his dad said, son, we don't ask questions like that. Well, he still couldn't accept that, so he went to the priest in the village and asked the same questions, and the priest couldn't give him any satisfying answer. And so, ultimately, what ended up happening is this young man heard about a missionary that was in the neighboring village who was preaching about the God of the sun. And so he snuck out of his house, went over to this other village, and heard about the word, heard about the God of the sun. And the Lord used that to break this young man of his sin, to open his eyes to the glory of the living God. And this young man then went on to be a, a missionary. But what we're seeing within this, and the reason I tell that story, is that creation, again, as we said earlier, should point to the Creator. And Paul, in this, is telling the Lystrans, the Lyconians, he's telling all of them, listen, God created all that we see. These little G-gods, Zeus, Hermes, all these others, they did not. But the living God is the one who created all that we see. So turn your attention from these vain things of the world and turn your attention to the living God. And so then he continues on in verses 16 and 17. We're going to see where Paul emphasizes God's goodness and his providence. He says, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And so what, what he's posing here is he's saying, all right, well, who sent the rains for the crops? The one and true living God. Who nourishes the body? Who satisfies your heart with good things? The one true and living God. Who showers common grace on even his enemies? The one true and living God. He's pointing their attention back to God's goodness and God's providence and painting a picture of the gospel for them through their culture through the things that they see, the things that they understand. Now, I said it earlier, but again, we have no right and we have no need to edit the gospel. But what we do need to understand is our audience. We need to understand who we're speaking to. And we see that in Paul's message here, that he understood who he was speaking to, and that's why 
He started where he did with the gospel. The way that John Stott says it, he says the key is to, sorry, he says the key is to know the Bible and to know people. No matter where we begin, we shall always end with Jesus Christ, who is himself the good news and who alone can fulfill all human aspirations. You see, as we get to know people, as we get to know the culture, we will know how to communicate the gospel with them. It may mean for some that we start with their desire for love and community. It may mean for others that we begin with their search for freedom. Others, it may be their need or their desire to be rid of the guilt and the shame that has plagued them in their lives. Some may be, it may be a quest for meaning. Others, a longing for significance. There may be a thirst and a desire for just joy in their lives. Some, there may be an attraction to created beauty. And others, a love of creativity or innovation. But as we get to know those around us, that gives us a starting point as to where to have our gospel conversations. The gospel does not change. Again, as I just read from that quote, we can start in these different places. However, we shall always end with Jesus Christ. And this sermon that's written here in Acts 14, we're not given the end, right? There's um, later on, you'll see another sermon uh, in Acts where, where, that Paul gives where it gives the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and it said that within this, that that sermon likely parallels this same one. But what we see here is that Paul is taking an understanding of the culture and leading them back to Jesus. The same should be true for us. We live in this world, but we are not of this world. right? We live here, but we are of the Lord. And as we are of the Lord, our desire should be to evangelize, to proclaim the gospel. The Lord will use us to do that as we go out and we do. So what is our application here? Well, as I, as I thought about this, because this is just personally, it's kind of that logistical side of my brain of, okay, we've talked through the miracle. We've talked through this misdirected worship. We've talked through the mindful humility of, of Paul and Barnabas and that they refuse to receive this worship. So what, is, what does that do for us? How do we take and put this into practice? What are our takeaways? Well, first of all, as we look at the miracle. We need to know and understand and remember and take comfort in knowing that God is all-powerful. He is the ultimate healer. Our healing of our sins is not dependent upon us. Right? Thankfully, it is not dependent upon us. I was having this conversation with someone just the other day that uh, just with the changes we've seen in the world... And uh, he, he made the comment, well, you know, our salvation is not dependent upon man. And I said, thank the Lord for that, because we could not earn it. We are not capable. And so Paul was sent here to spread a message of the gospel. We, too, are sent to spread the message of the gospel, and that, that it is the power, the healing power of the Lord. And we can take comfort in that. And it's such a beautiful thing to know that we can rest 
in knowing it's not dependent upon us. We can rest in him in that. All right, that's, that's application number one. Number two, as a result of knowing that God is all-powerful, we should want to worship him, right? Our desire should be for him. Oftentimes, they use the example of uh, within a marriage of, you know, as you're, you're working together to serve your, your household, your family, whatever the case may be. I always go back to early on in our marriage, it was, it was doing the dishes. And it wasn't just the act of doing the dishes, it was the desire to do the dishes, right? And so in that same sense, as we acknowledge the power of, of God and we rest in his powerfulness, we should want to worship him. That should be the desire of our hearts is to give him what he give back to him what he has given to us. We should not want to worship the things of this world, but we should want to worship the Creator. All right. Thirdly, give him the glory. Right? Whenever others attribute things to you that should be attributed to God, give him the glory. Live humbly before God and before man. And lastly, share the gospel. Get to know people, get to know the word, and share the word, share the gospel with people. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for the time that we have had in your word as we've looked at this story within Acts. Father, I'm so thankful for Paul and Barnabas and the manner in which they live their lives, that they refused to take glory that belonged to you. I pray that this would be the model by which we live our lives as believers. And Father, for any in here who do not know you as Lord and Savior, pray that they would be turned to Jesus Christ, that they would be turned to you in seeing you as the creator. Father, that you would break them of their sin, and draw them into your kingdom as only you can. Father, we pray for the rest of this service. Just as we, we have this time now to close out with one another. Father, that you would have used this message this morning to impact our lives and our weeks as we all walk out of here and move on forward. But Father, we, we praise you for your power in knowing that it is you who heals. And so we give the rest of this time over to you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.